This is Redefining the Counterculture on Witten Radio. Make sure to check out our website at wittenradio.com. Everyone's got their thing. Maybe it's a breakup, a death, an accident. Whatever it is, you used to be one thing. Now, you're something else. We all have our own problems. Our own issues. Our own. Demons. daughters are friends. I think that makes us friends. <laughs> I'm Hunter. I'm Lisa. That's my Julie. I'm Mitchell. Kayla's hero. We the life of the party. I can't believe it's prom. They're so grown up. I can't even hug my daughter anymore without feeling her boobs. <laughs> Just high fives from now on. Okay. <laughs> Julie left her laptop open. You guys are snooping on our kids? No. We don't understand what they're saying, so it's not snooping. Oh my god, I love puzzles. <laughs> Some about an eggplant. And teenage emoji eggplants are dicks. Wait, what? All emojis have a secret meaning, so like trees are weed, and this thing is yas queen. Yas queen. So she's gonna get Rose's yeah. kiss and then touch his dick eggplant. I don't want a drool coming out of the smiley face. That's jizz. Stand down. It is. Look, it's coming. He's like, this is a sex act. They're planning on losing their virginity on prom night. Maybe it's not sex. They're just saying, hey, you're okay with me. You're okay with me. Maybe. No, I fucking knew it. Our girls are not thinking things through. I'm going to stop them. I'm in. Let's cock block those motherfuckers. This is our last big night together. This pact is gonna make tonight even more perfect. They're getting away. WWVDD. What would Vin Diesel do? In times of crisis, parents are known to have superhuman strength. I can do this. What the fuck? This is so messed up. Did your dad try to stop you when you wanted to lose your virginity? He's too busy high-fiving me. I'll do anything for my daughter. What about a little chugging contest? Bring it. Wait, what? We're butt chugging. You got this, dog. No, I'm tagging out. You're in. What? You put a baby. Everything's looser down there. I don't have a baby out of my butt. On the count of three. One. Oh, oh 
I'm not a fan. I am tripping so hard. I just had a vision. My dad was chugging beer through his asshole. I can't do anymore. Pose, Brian. Pose, pose. Hey guys, you're listening to another episode of Redefine into Counterculture right here on Witten Radio. Today we've got a super special guest for you. We're joined by actress Marcy Malik. Marcy, how's it going? Hello, Walter. How are you? Doing well, doing well. We just had the craziest, craziest phone tag. We we did, but we made it happen. It's happening. Perseverance at its best. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, Mercy, um, I know that you yeah. started acting at a young age. Tell me, like, what was the catalyst that got you involved in, you know, acting, and what, what just made you get the acting bug, per se? That is such a great question. I'm going to tell, uh, hopefully, a story that's not too much longer than you uh, thought you were bargaining for. But um, I grew up, uh, I was born in Los Angeles, but I mostly grew up in Las Vegas. And at that time, there was a woman who had a dance studio in Las Vegas who was one of, um, like, a legitimate, like, old vaudeville performer. Like, one of, you know, on stage, traveling around, like, the old days of the vaudeville, whatever. And she was well under five feet tall, like this little tiny Italian lady, but she was just a powerhouse. Like she might as well have been seven feet tall, man. She was just such a, you know, force of nature. And um, what the grandmother of a girl that I went to school with, I was about eight years old, had heard me singing at school. We, We went to Catholic school and you do a lot of singing in Catholic school. And she said, oh, you have such a lovely voice. I want to introduce you to my granddaughter's dance teacher. So she took me to her and she said, I want to kind of like groom you and I will give you free dance lessons if you help me around the studio. And I said, awesome. So I got free dance lessons and singing lessons, et cetera, from her. Her name was Jeannie Roberts. She was kind of a a Las Vegas institution at the time. And she introduced me to um, who a person who was at the time the only casting director for film and TV work in Las Vegas. It was a really small town at the time, but there was a lot of TV work to be done because they had a really huge PBS production facility in town at the time. So there was a ton of PBS work to be done, which I have to say for a child actor is I think the most idyllic situation you could possibly be in because it's much, much more relaxed than network television or Um, you know, studio features, and I just had the most wonderful, it was the best part of my childhood was the work that I did in TV and film, so it was just purely, purely positive for me. Right on, right on. Do you remember, I guess, your your very first um, production, were you, like, what were your emotions? Were you, were you nervous? Were you anxious? How did it kind of pan out? Um, you know, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think I just, I really have to say that the first time that I stepped onto a film production set, I felt like I had come home. It just felt so comfortable and logical to me. And I loved the way that everyone had a very specific job and everyone knew what everybody was supposed to be doing. Everyone was happy with you. And it, it was just such a, a wonderful experience for me. Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So fast forward, um, you know, to 
where you are now. I know that, you know, acting is something that is, you know, it, it can be quite arduous. I mean, there's ups and downs to it. Um, what keeps you just motivated and just keeps you coming back for more? Because I know a lot of people, they see the end product and they're like, they're like acting is, you know, so, so much fun and it's prestigious and everything. But there's, you know, there are times where it's rough, where, you know, things don't always <laughs> well. Like what, you know, just coming back to your persistence, what, what keeps you coming back for it? Uh, thank you. And thank you for being such a knowledgeable person about that side of our lives. Cause yeah, it's, true. It's, it's just like, you know, I really see this a lot where people outside the entertainment industry have a perception of actors as you're either on the cover of people magazine or you're a starving actor working as a waiter and nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, most <laughs> working actors are, fall in the very, very large situation in the middle. You know, I, I know so many wonderfully talented people who work constantly and pay their bills through acting who you're just not going to see, you know, on TMZ or, or whatever. That's that's not what what the main bulk of us in the profession are about. And if you don't see somebody on TMZ, it doesn't mean that they're waiting tables or they're wannabe or aspiring actor, people say a lot. So, there's, um, you know, sometimes I call it the trenches, but there's a, a large, large, large group of us who are just kind of doing our job, you know, and, and you know that I, I just shot, I just worked on a TV show a couple weeks ago for CBS where I got to set and there were two other actors that I know really well who were cast in the same episode that I'd known for 15 years. And it's kind of that level of people, they, they might not be recognized on the street, but we see each other, both of us had, all three of us had worked together on multiple projects before then. One of the guys I'd worked on um, the show Chuck with him before and another woman I'd done a commercial with and another production and, it, it's just really lovely to see this kind of fraternity of these really hardworking people who are exceptional, exceptional at what they do, but for whatever reason um, aren't, at least currently, in the eyes of the public as, like, superstars. We're, we're artists. We're also technicians, reliable people who you know will come to set and just knock it out of the park, and there's a lot of people like that. So I'm, I'm really proud to be amongst that company, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you said something that just uh, really, uh, you know, you hit it on the nail, you know, it's like there are, you know, lots of actors and actresses that have, you know, made a career of uh, of the industry and, you know, to the average person, they wouldn't recognize them, but, you know, yeah. if you're you know, involved in the industry, you, you would know them. Um, that's got to be something. Um who would you say, do you have someone in mind um, that I guess has really just inspired you to kind of, um, you know, perfect your craft, so to speak? Uh, oh, that's a really interesting question. I mean, there's a lot of people whose work I really admire. There's a lot of people I'd love to work with. There are other people whose careers I admire, and not all of those are necessarily the same people. You know, there are certain people, and I, I certainly don't want to say any of them, but, you know, there are certain people who are very respected, well-respected for their talent, but then people you know work with them, and consistently they say it's a horrible, horrible negative experience where those people are very talented, but they treat people around them really poorly. Right, so it's right. like, okay, you know, okay, I get that. You're good at what you do, but – 
I don't really have a desire to work with you. And then there's other people who, you, like, you just can't. You're just like, oh, my, please let me, please let me get to work with you and get to play and, and feed off of that energy. And then there's other people who it's just you look at their careers and you're like, yeah, that's the kind of career I want. So I guess they're all they're all kind of different, different entities, as it were, you know. Right on. There's a lot right. of them, yeah. <laughs> Now, um, there's a saying, um, I think it's TV makes you rich, uh, film makes you famous, and theater makes you better. Um, you've done, I think, all three. Uh, yep. Do you have a preference on, on it, just in terms of booking, like, do you prefer to book more TV gigs than, say, film, or is it vice versa? This is going to be a long answer, so stop me because I'm a talker, okay? You're going to have to jump in and be like, girl, stop just enough, enough. Okay. Um, so uh, those are, those are interest. that's an interesting saying, and I haven't heard it phrased quite that way, but I think nowadays, first of all, the biggest stars are doing TV. So that kind of delineation between like movie star and TV actor is so far erased and People are really excited about doing exceptional work on television or, or what we now say like digitally distributed, you know, Hulu or Amazon or whatever. Um, that's it's, it's a really exciting time for what we used to call television, both in the opportunity to work with really, really top level people recognized both for their fame and for their abilities. And also just the kind of productions you get to work on. It's just, I mean, like, especially a lot of the cable channels and, I mean, not the networks are wonderful too, but there's some incredibly edgy, dangerous, chance-taking stuff going on on cable stuff and, and on Amazon and and um, on uh, Netflix, certainly. You know, there's a lot to be done in what we used to call TV. Um, as far as what makes you faint, I mean, personally, I think, TV now is probably the more fame-acquiring opportunity for most people, especially in certain genres. So, like, w my partner and I talk about this a lot, that um, there are certain TV shows that we watch that we think are just, like, the pinnacle of artistry as filmmaking or as, as actors, like, you know, our arts, our craft, that maybe not a lot of people are watching, maybe it doesn't even get a second season, and we're just going, like, oh, this should be winning all the awards. And then there's other stuff that for whatever reason just kind of captures the public's attention and those people shoot to like stratospheric fame. So that does happen in TV a lot. And then when you want to talk about film, there's so many different types of film. There's the big studio features. There's the, you know, the Marvel movies and that kind of thing. And then there's the kind of character study pieces. And then there's the stuff that win at festivals, but the public never really sees it. Or um, there's, small indie films that you're doing much like I, I think the one that we're going to talk about in a little while which is Live or Die on Mahanda which is I think how we found each other yeah. um, there's <laughs> tiny you know tiny budget stuff there's passion projects there's personal things and they're all such different um, experiences to work on you know so that that's um, it's it really it, it's impossible these days to define this is what film is and this is what TV is it's more like this is a studio film. This is a mid-budget. This is an ultra-low budget. This is a network TV show. This is a, um, you know, online, et cetera. I mean, for for example, in network TV shows generally move very quickly. They shoot very fast. 
you come in, you say your lines, you hit your mark, you thank them, and you leave. Even if you're the main guest star for the episode, that's it's kind of just like click, click, click. And I found um, on the shows that I've worked on for, say, Amazon, um, things move much more slowly. It's more of a, a film uh, pacing where you have a little more time. Maybe you get to rehearse a little bit. So, yeah, it's just like it's a whole world of adventure in 23 different directions now. And I love that. It's just more opportunities, I think, for us as artists. Right on. Yeah, you definitely hit on something because I know um... – I think I had read somewhere that back in the day, like, um, I don't know if it was like the 70s or 80s, like, there was um, there was definitely a difference between film and television, and it's like most actors preferred to be in the movies, as yeah. opposed to be, it was kind of like a downgrade to be on TV, but now it's like an even playing field with, um, you know, the emergence of technology and just the way that things have been going, so it's definitely yeah. cool, the, the dichotomy between both. Um Speaking of which, um, I am very familiar with some of your TV work, and um, specifically, <laughs> you did some work for iZombie, where you played, I think, yes. two different roles. Um, yes. <laughs> that was so tricky for me. How did you, I guess, prepare for that? Did, did you have, like, some, I guess, some some <laughs> weird ritual that you did to kind of like, <laughs> get prepared for that? Walter, I am so delighted that you brought that up because that is one of my favorite roles I have ever played in my life. I had so much fun on that show, which first of all is just the most, I mean, the most lovely, lovely people you would ever want to work with in your life. And I mean, I just, I just want to give like a shout out to like the experience of working on that show, the makeup artist, the, I mean, everyone was so lovely. And Rose McIver is one of the, she's the, for folks who don't watch the show, she's the zombie. She's the lead girl. She is literally like one of the kindest, most sweet, humble people I have ever worked with in my life or even met in addition to being just like phenomenally talented Malcolm Goodwin also just like the nicest guy just welcoming you into the cast and a lot of times on these tv shows when you're doing just one episode even if you're not to spoil the surprise even if you're the killer which I was on that episode um (laughs) you know they don't want to really like they have their cast they have their series regulars and they're kind of like polite but not like super welcoming and they were so I mean they made me feel like I was a real integral part of the show which I really appreciated um but anyway to get to your question about the prep yeah for folks who haven't seen that episode um I played a woman who was simultaneously masquerading as a Russian hotel maid and a mute male magician (laughs) it was this really extensive I mean, I told the the key makeup artist, I'm like, you need to be nominated for an Emmy for this because what she had to do to swap me in between these two roles was so extensive. I mean, they changed the coloring of my skin. They changed, obviously, they, you know, there was like a wig and there was a mustache and all all kinds of, of stuff going on. And one day, in general, when you have like that big of a of a physical change, you try to obviously shoot the different characters on different days. But on one of the days, I had to be both characters in the same day. And it, I don't know how she did it. I don't know how the team did it. It was this crazy turnaround. I mean, the 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 maid had like long nails, and the guy obviously had short nails, and it was like every inch of me from head to toe they had to transform. So when people are that good at that side of it. 
from my standpoint, it makes the acting part so much easier. Because when you look in the mirror and you see something very different, for me at least, it's much easier to kind of click into the different persona. And in that case, when I was the man, I was wearing a full suit with a necktie. I had I had a little rolled up washcloth in my pants. <laughs> yeah, so that there wasn't like a vacant space down there. It was really fascinating, um, but it uh, it was so much fun and 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 just creating the different mannerisms for the two characters too, and how do each of them walk? What do they do with their face? Because for me. I identify people a lot by their facial expressions, so I wanted to make sure um, that this is kind of a tangent, but I have something called prosopagnosia, which is uh, most people know as face blindness, um, which means that folks with this condition, they don't, um, there's like a, a mental trick that most people's brains do where they attach a unique um, imprint, uh, imprint to each face that they see, and that's what lets people instantly recognize faces. And for folks with prosopagnosia, we don't have that ability. So we can only identify people by, like, their haircut or, you know, if they oh, have, wow. like, a really distinctive facial feature, um, we can identify them that way. But if they don't, it's much, much harder. So I tend to memorize people's looks by what they do with their faces. So for me, I'm really aware of that, and I tried to make those two characters' facial expressions be really distinct. Um, I don't know if that read at all for the viewer, but it, it kind of helped me as well to kind of get into the mindset of each of them. So, yeah. Totally. Man, that's something. I never knew about that condition. and um... I, I have to thank Brad Pitt because he kind of came out maybe like 10 years ago and, and went public with the fact that he has it. And it's been um, – that's how most people relate to it. They go, oh, is that Brad Pitt's thing? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so thanks thanks to good old Brad Pitt for uh, letting people know it's a real thing because, I mean, it can be a challenge. Like, people get really offended when you don't recognize them sometimes. And I have to <laughs> explain, like, no, no, it's not that you're not important to me. You're just wearing a hat, and now I can't recognize you. Pick up your hat, please. You know. Yep. It is. Oh, man. The brain is a fascinating uh, machine. and It really know, is. And yeah. what's so crazy about it is it's like even with, you know, as much, you know, as many advancements as we've had, you know, in technology and, and, and medicine, it's still the brain is still a part of the body that is relatively a mystery uh, in, you know, in certain instances. And so it's, you know, it's almost like uncharted territory where we're constantly learning more and more about it each day. Um, but it's just so vast to where it's like we still don't know everything, you know. It's so true, and I, I'm just – I'm endlessly fascinated by that. Like people who get like a brain injury or someone shoots an arrow in their head or whatever, and it goes through the center <laughs> of the brain that's needed for whatever task, and then some other parts of the, part of the brain jumps in and starts doing that task. It's just amazing. Like that's it, that's like the new frontier to me. It's like what's going on between our ears. There's so much that we haven't – discovered yet it's really exciting absolutely absolutely yeah. um i want to jump ahead and i want to talk about your newest film uh live or die in Wakanda. uh yeah. this movie is amazing um like I, I was uh interviewing the director yesterday and i was just talking about you know how it just sucks you in from the very first very first frame um tell me a little bit about kind of 
what it was like for you working on this film. Um, what, I guess, drew you to the film? Um, I'm really happy, first of all, to hear you say that. I love, I love that it sucked you in. And um, I, uh, I kind of came to the project in the way that I come to most projects, which is my manager submitted me on, um, you know, they how it usually works, or, or you know, the the usual way is um, someone who's making a film will secure a casting director. They'll employ a casting director who, in the case of Live or Die in La Honda, was Sherry Henderson, who I just adore. I love that woman to death. She is an amazing person, and she she runs her sessions in such a smart way. Um, A lot of casting directors, erroneously, I say with strong um, feeling, erroneously think that making the auditioning environment kind of like harsh or challenging will see who can take it. And it's just the most ridiculous, ridiculous idea because the auditioning situation is so completely different than what you're going to be doing on set that a lot of times when they when they structure things that way, you really end up casting the wrong people. And I could tell stories about that, like talking with producers and having them be like, oh, the, the person was so good in the room. They say, you know, quote, in the room, in the auditioning room. Um, and Sherry is so different that way. She makes it everything as comfortable as it can be. She gives all of the information before you go into the room. She lets you know, okay, who's here's who's going to be in the room. This person's sitting here, this person's sitting here, you know, so you're already oriented to not have to worry about that stuff and just do the best work you can. So um, I was actually brought in to read for Victoria Taylor role, the the one that my lovely, wonderful, gorgeous, amazingly talented friend, Lily Bourdain, ended up playing. So I yes, read yes, for that yes. role. Of, what's that? Oh, I said yes, yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Amazing. Yeah, she is an amazing person in every way. And one of my favorite fruits of working on that film was meeting her. She is just, uh, I mean, just the greatest, the greatest lady. So um, I was brought in to read for that role and then was called back again on a day when, you know, they had several of us doing what they call chemistry read with the lead gentleman, um, Blake Shields uh, Bramovitz, who was playing Blake Baker in the film. And so, you know, they kind of take you in and out of the room a couple times, and and it's um, exactly what it's called. It's like who has the correct chemistry for the role. And, I mean, when I, when I got on set and saw them working together, like absolutely the correct choice was made. Like they had the better chemistry. And, I you know, I, I was – they called me – managers a couple of days later or however long later and said, you know, we're not, we're going a different direction for the Victoria role, but would Mercy like to look at this other role of Rita and let us know if, you know, what she thinks of that. And so I'd already read the script. I went back in and I looked at Rita and I was like, oh, this is, this is some interesting stuff too. This is something that could be really fun. Um, And that's how I ended up playing Rita. Right on, right on. Yeah. Is it ever, um, is it ever like nerve wracking for you, like with the auditioning process? Because I know, like in terms of acting, like that's something that you kind of have to like prepare yourself for as well. Um, you know, like, you know, like just auditioning. You know, that that can be. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's um, it's funny. It kind of to just to reiterate what I said before about like the whatever office you're in determines it so much, I think. I mean, there's certain offices where I just look forward to going in there. I can't wait to going it to go in and 
see people that I like and play. You know, I feel like auditioning in a certain sense is just you're you're acting. You get to act. Like, it's fun to act. <laughs> That's why we do it. We like to do it. Um, but other offices, like I said, are, are just not not as welcoming. Um, or a lot of times you get into the room and there's stuff going on that you don't know about and you can't know about. And that's, you know, I tell other actors who are starting out a lot, like you just can't, people say don't take it personally, it's not personal, but it, it is personal. It's as personal as anything could possibly be. They're evaluating the shoes you're wearing. They're evaluating how you walk in the room and how you shut the door and how you open the door. But what it is not is intimate. It is not intimate in any way. And that's what I try to remind people of. Like, is it personal? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you remind them of their cousin and they hated their cousin, you're not going to get that role. And that's personal. <laughs> but it's not intimate. They don't know you. They don't know what kind of person you are. They don't, you know, nothing like that. So it's more like sometimes some there are lovely, wonderful people in the entertainment industry, a lot of them. And there are really unhappy, terribly, like, people in a lot of pain in the entertainment industry. And those people sometimes like to make others as uncomfortable as they can or chip at their confidence or try to embarrass them. And you just kind of have to shrug it off and say, it is not me. <laughs> it is that person. And I pray that they are released from the pain that they're in because that they must be really, really unhappy in their lives to be treating people that way. Cause you know, it happens. It's, it's just, it's just what it, I mean, but it honestly, Walter, in some ways it's no different than walking down the street. You know, you're going to, some people are going to be nice to you and some people aren't. And it's that simple. So you do your preparation, you go in, you do the best job you can, you, um, try to enjoy it or at least get a funny story out of it and go about your business. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, which brings me to my next question. What's the biggest takeaway that you want people to get from the work that you do um, and the work that you've done? Because I know that, you know, you know, legacy is something that's big to a lot of people. Um, yeah. In terms of, like, your legacy and just when people see your work, what's the biggest takeaway that you want them to get from the work you've done? Um, I just have to pause here to say you have the most excellent questions. I hope other people tell you this a lot because you really do. You ask really thought-provoking. <laughs> I can tell that you really think about these things. Um, this is that's that's deep. Um, I feel like there are two things that I want to do in the entertainment industry. And as I said earlier, like this. I, I haven't really known a time when I haven't been involved in the entertainment industry or thinking about it. And, and I, in particular, we kind of glossed over the theater thing, but I'm, I'm not, I've done a lot of theater, but I'm not a person who feels real connected to theater. I don't feel like, Oh, I mean, I know a lot of actors are like, I just can't wait to get on the stage. That is just not my thing at all. I've, I've always been, um, and I don't mean not my thing is, and I won't do theater. I haven't enjoyed doing theater, but my passion is in creating something that someone can watch wherever they are, in their house, in the hospital, in in jail. You know, I mean, like film and TV go everywhere. And when you've when you're a part of creating something that's a product that lives on and on. 
and can be accessed and enjoyed and learned from and that can move people after you're dead, you know. Um, that's a really powerful thing for me. So when I think about my part in the industry or what I want to contribute, there it's kind of – there's like a two two different prongs. One is I love, I love it. I love the experience of being someone else. I love experiencing different scenarios and simulating different actions and different storylines and getting to feel like really experience what that would be like if it were real. And then the director calls cut and it's done. So did I really kill someone? No, I didn't. <laughs> did I really get killed? No, I didn't. You know, but but I've had the experience of it. You know, I just feel like it's like more life. Like I get to live all these other lives and then I go home to my partner and my cats and our snake and I'm like, chill on the couch. <laughs> there's there's no consequences to it so that part is just pure love and enjoyment and and play and creation and then there's the other part where it's like what do I want to encourage um the putting out there into the world you know so there's um there's a feature film that I uh wrote and co-directed that did the festival circuit um several years ago that I felt really, and it was based upon my experiences growing up in Las Vegas, and I felt really strongly about um, presenting that to people in an accessible way, because to get back to the theater thing, I had done it as a theater piece in Los Angeles, and it had gotten all these amazing reviews and pick of the week or whatever, but it also um, became um, a show that people would come to in groups, uh, including um, childhood abuse survivors, uh, including groups of um, therapists who came to see the show, including groups, um, Catholic groups, because there there was a lot of my how Catholicism fit into my upbringing, which I should say a totally positive, completely positive situation. I know that's not true for a lot of people, but for me, it really was. Um, but it was really powerful to me to have people come up to me after the show and they'd be crying and they'd say, I, I didn't think anyone else could understand this experience that I had had that you touched on or the way you articulated this and, you know, you put it out publicly and I was always so ashamed. And I was like, oh, man, this needs to become something that people don't have to come to a theater in Los Angeles to see. And that's how it became a film. So then it went to these, um, you know, it went to uh, festivals, and I was having the same experience. People coming up to me after the screenings, crying, hugging me, sending me letters saying, you know, I just feel changed by seeing this thing. And that, that's Walter is the power of you know, being able to reach you. I should probably say the name of the movie now that I've talked about it for like 20 minutes. Um, it's called Tales from the Catholic Church of Elvis. And yeah. um, yes, kind of hard to forget title. Uh, and we're working on actually um, the other kind of disappointing thing that we found was that even though that movie won awards everywhere it went, we didn't have what's called in the business a marquee name, which means there wasn't a super famous person in one of the lead roles. Uh, so we couldn't get distribution. Because unfortunately, no matter how many awards something wins or no matter how good people think it is, if they can't say starring whatever, so I've already said Brad Pitt, so we'll use Brad Pitt. Starring Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was not in my movie, so it wasn't going to get the kind of attention. 
Um, but it's been really exciting in the last couple of years seeing like digital distribution changing in a lot of ways that um, we've actually just had been just been approached by one of the major online distributors to talk about um, that film getting distribution finally after several years. And that would make me really happy because it is the kind of thing because of the subject matter and some of the things discussed that I think is something that could make people feel less alone. And that to me is, you know, if I want to, to bring it back around to your original question, um, if, if I could have a legacy, I would love for it to be um, letting people feel less alone and letting them see that people can experience terrible circumstances and go forward to have happy lives. Um, I actually talk about this in the movie that when I was little, my favorite TV show was Hogan's Heroes, which is a weird thing for a little kid to be watching like this black and white, you know, Hogan's Heroes TV show. But it, when I was a little kid, I, I was so fascinated by this storyline where like people are in this Nazi concentration camp and they're like, ha, 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 having a fun time, like sneaking out and petting the guard dogs, whatever, that the worst case scenario could um, – still be something that people could live through and could come out in some way unscathed and capable of going on with their lives, regardless of what had been quote unquote done to them or what um, they had endured or, or whatever, that, that you really, really can move forward in your life, no matter what the thing is that happened to you or you did or choices made or things beyond your control, whatever, that there's always a future if you want there to be but you got to make that choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a beautiful goal to have. And I mean, you hit on so many great, great things there. I mean, I think that that's, that's just commendable. So. Well, thank you. I rambled a little bit, but hopefully there's a chunk of gold in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. There definitely is a chunk of gold. There. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Marcy, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you taking time to, you know, come on today's show and I'm, I'm all of the questions, but, I just wanted to open the floor to you if there's anything you'd like to say to our listening audience. Um, oh, wow. That is, that is like too many, too many choices. <laughs> um, I guess I would like to say, I'd just like to say, first of all, you know, thank you to everyone involved in Live or Die in La Honda because I think that's how I got to be on the show with you today, which is lovely. Um, and I am such a strong proponent of independent film and I love, I just love working on indie films and I have the greatest respect for anybody who can actually get something made. Um, I, I listened to your interview with Lily before you and I talked today, and um, I heard her talking about how many um, productions she's been involved with that, that you know, still haven't. And I, I can definitely echo that. You know, there's things that I have shot that never made it to, you know, out of they never actually ended up anywhere anyone could watch them or they never were finished. And I'm just so proud of, of Jeff Hammer and all of his family. I mean, his wife, Nicole was hugely integral in, in uh, Jeff Hammer. Sorry. Is, for those who don't know, is the director, writer, producer of liver. Nicole is on set every day and in, in many important capacities. And it's also just the most lovely, wonderful person and is a medical doctor. Like, what? Like, these people are doing so much. It's like, that's how indie film happens. It's 
you know, smart, motivated people who have a passion for something and they want to make it happen and then they just do. So uh, I guess just to all the indie filmmakers out there, like mad props to getting your thing happening however you can and however you need to, like just do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Jeff Hammer is amazing. I uh, interviewed him the other day and was very, very uh, just in admiration of the work he does. So, yeah, you, you hit on something. Indie, indie film equals creativity. And so, yeah, you hit on some, some great things there. Well, and guess what? You're part of making that happen, Walter, because you can give us a platform to talk about this <laughs> stuff. Yeah, you are yeah. you are one of the cornerstones of it even happening because there you can make the greatest film in the world and if nobody knows about it it's uh you know it's been a good experience for those who worked on it but ultimately we all want people to see what we create and and hopefully enjoy it or learn from it or grow from it or be emboldened by it or something positive right absolutely yeah. <laughs> Well, Marcy, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, it has been wonderful and lovely talking with you, and I look forward to talking with you again sometime about some other great projects. Likewise, likewise. All right. Thanks so much, Walter. <laughs> thank you so All much. All right. Thanks. Bye.